Welcome back to the Crow's Nest. My name is Jackson Shank, alongside my co-host Justin Valenzuela. For today's episode, where we're going to cover the MLB, talking a little Phillies and Angels, the first two games of the NBA playoffs, and some defensive linemen in the NFL, Akeem Hicks and Aaron Donald. Justin, how are we doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Jackson. Today was a nice day for me. Today was indeed a great day. It's beautiful here in Kansas City, and I got to treat myself to some Top Gun. That was amazing. Top Gun Maverick, if you haven't seen it, you got to go see it. So fill me in. I've seen a lot of videos, and it's like, don't take your boyfriend to go see Top Gun. And they have like beards and they shave it off. So what's that all about? I have no idea what that means. So that is, there's this one scene with Miles Teller with his shirt off. That's like the whole meme. And it's, you know, it's whatever. It's literally an on-screen moment for like three seconds and that's it. But no, it's, it's a wonderful movie. I'd go see it with whoever. Make sure you see the first one, of course. But they did a wonderful job remastering a film not remastering a film, but adding to a film 40 years later. So shout out to the directors and producers because it was, it was amazing. Nope. All right, let's get right into things. We're going to go headfirst into the MLB with some big news coming out of Philly. The Phillies fired their manager, Joe Girardi, after they've spent $204 million this offseason two big names and Nick Castellanos with a five-year, $100 million deal and a four-year, $79 million deal for Kyle Schwarber. They had the fourth fourth highest payroll and Justin, they're 25 and 29. What do you make of this Philly squad? Look, man, this reminds me a lot, and it's ironic because Girardi, as a former Yankee manager, knows all too much about this. This reminds me of Yankees teams in the past where it's like we spent like the year we went out, uh, we had Judge coming off of his rookie season where he was a phenom. And then that offseason, we went out and we traded for Stanton, whose contract was huge. It still is huge, but compared to the money these guys are making now, it's a, a little bit more manageable when you look at like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and those types of contracts. But the common theme was pitching. We never had pitching. Our ace was Masahiro Tanaka, who's not cutting it as an ace. You know what I'm saying? In this Phillies team, their bullpen is a abysmal horrible this is probably it's a bottom three bullpen in the entire MLB and and they're constantly blowing games because of this bullpen and obviously Girardi makes horrible mistakes like uh, I think what really did him in was his one decision uh and extras against the Giants and it just spiraled downhill after that because the guy he put in he put in a lefty against a guy who like matches lefties and just time and time again making mistakes like that and until you get a solid pitching rotation and you get a good bullpen, you're simply not going to win because offense is amazing. But when the bats aren't hot, like you're done for. And if you can't mitigate the damage on the pitching side, it's not going to end well. And this Phillies team is doomed to fail. I honestly, I saw this coming from a mile away because I looked at this team and I said, damn, they have no pitching. They have no bullpen. Like, and honestly, Girardi is a washed manager to top it off. So they're obviously better off without him, but I still think they're going to run into these problems. And I don't see how this team can make the playoffs. Yeah, it's tough with the previous world champs in the Atlanta Braves and the red hot New York Mets in your division. So the Phillies got a lot of climbing to do. I mean, they're 25 and 29, 11 games back. I mean, they're, they're reasonably close with the Braves, but you talked about 
the bullpen, their ERA last year was above a four and a half. So this is something that is going to play into games. You know, you get that offensive production from players like Schwarber, like Harbor, like Nick Castellanos. And then all of a sudden here comes the other team because they're hitting bombs later in the innings off your pitchers who aren't productive. I mean, they've got a great starter in Zach Wheeler. He's their ace. They've got, they've got a few, a few nice guys here and there, but no one who is definitive in that bullpen, nor do they have just a collective morale, I guess you could say they don't have a, like, they don't have any, they don't have any swagger. Like it's just, it's just random guys coming out doing what they can. And, you know, as a Royals fan, I live and breathe this every day. We just got done talking last episode about how the Royals do a great job producing runs with their young hitters. And then the bullpen flops. So this is, this is a recipe for disaster. And when you can't stop the other team from scoring, it's an issue, right? So the money that you spent in the off season lands you with a similar record to teams like the Baltimore Orioles, like, ridiculous this is this is tough now the firing of joe girardi you know since then they're three and oh so got to make a good decision right well not entirely you spanked the now 11 game losing streak for the la angels so i mean you hit a team while it was down it's it's rough. They were 132 and 141 under Girardi's management. So the, the needle never really moved, but yeah, they're going to have to do some climbing. And I would have to say they're going to have to solidify themselves over the Braves in the back half of the season. If they want a shot at the playoffs. Yeah. It's ironic that you mentioned the Orioles because the Orioles have the lowest payroll in the MLB. Whereas as mentioned before, the Phillies have the fourth highest payroll. The Orioles and Phillies are like one or two games record difference from each other. And at the time I saw it was it was a tweet that I saw and it said that, you know, it compared the payrolls and that they have the same record. Obviously, that has changed since then. So it's going to be about a game or two different, especially Mm -hmm. after they just swept the Angels. But, you know, the point remains like you're spending all of this money and you're not like meeting expectations at all. You're four games under 500 heading into June. That's that's not cutting it at all and and as as a Phillies fan I'd be super duper frustrated but to touch an 11 game losing streak for the Angels they were what 27 and 17 at one point looking like one of the best teams in baseball they They were were a team we raved about yeah they were a team they were top of their division loved Jackson they're under 500 now I know it's terrifying somehow they're still second in their division but man like they have starting to run away with that though yeah, they have gone. They have gone really cold. The Angels have. Jackson, the Astros have completely snuck into this whole thing. They are. They have thirty six wins out of nowhere. Or would you agree with that? This team has been completely quiet to me. I've heard no rumblings about the Astros. They were under five hundred at one point, like and not like a five and five, five and six type under five hundred. They were 15, 16 games into the year under five hundred, and I look in their. 36 and whatever, I was like, whoa, where did the Astros come from? Despite all of the all of the cheating, all of the repercussions, all of the all of the backlash that they've gotten, they continue to win. And I hate it. I hate it, Jackson. I can't see this team winning. They just they don't go away, man. We, we can't get rid of them. Yeah, the issue is, Justin, they play good baseball. 
I mean, yeah. they have really solid players. I mean, they have a rookie of the year playing at shortstop right now. They're going to extend Jordan Alvarez. You have Jose Altuve, who, yes, he's Kyle Tucker's. He's good. an older guy. Yeah, Kyle Tucker as well, a great catcher. And Maltin Maldonado, who's been in and out of the lineup. But, man, the Astros team has been really, really solid. And, you know, before all the cheating stuff, we knew that this team was going to be good. Like, Justin, to be honest, they didn't have to cheat. Yeah. I don't right? Know. They, still got they, really Bregman, they still got Bregman at third. So <sighs> the core of this team is still together. Obviously, they lost Correa and George Springer, which, don't get me wrong, those are huge. Two, it hurts. Two sacrifices got to be blows, But, man, it's still a really talented team. I mean, they lost Grinky. Verlander's back, though. He's back from Tommy John, and he's lighting it up. So, good on Verlander. And this Astros team, Dusty Baker, we talked about it. He's one of the greats. We mentioned him on the one of the episodes earlier in the year, man, this is a solid team, Justin. And I don't see them, you know, having a lot of competition in the upcoming years. Maybe the Mariners add another couple free agents, start to tap into their bullpen and Julio Rodriguez starts to gain some traction. But outside of that, the Astros are going to be up there and, you know, bringing it back to the angels. If the angels can hold on, then this would be a chance for them to win you know, to, to find their way into the playoffs on a bottom half seed, but still find their way in. Yeah. I think despite your seed, when you have Mike Trout and Shohei Otani on your team, your chances to win are pretty good, especially in a win or go home wild card game situation. But with that said, man, Trout is Oh, for 26, man. in his last 26 at bats, he's just, He's cold, and it's weird because, you know, you look at Trout and you just think he's this model of consistency, just consistently being great. And this Angels team was at the top of the world, at top, at top of the baseball world, and 0 for 26 now, and they have an 11-game losing streak. So, obviously, when Trout stops hitting, the Angels stop winning, and it's that simple. Yeah, I think, you know, when you have a player – of Trout's caliber, he is a lot of your run production. He's a lot of your bases. So that's what's leading to a lot of a lot of their downfall. You know, him being in and out of the lineup due to injury too is always something that I've been concerned with. He's a model for success that every player should look at, but he is he is injured quite frank quite frequently throughout the season. Now they play the Red Sox tonight. Talked about the Red Sox recently as kind of a disappointment, but they are heating up. So Another tough series for them. I mean, the Angels have not had the easiest stretch over that losing streak. They had a four-game series with the Jays. They lost one game to the Rangers, got swept by the Yankees, and now swept by the Phillies, and one game was a walk-off. So a lot going wrong for the Angels if they can start to lock in. You know, Shohei had a really bad game, but if they can hunker down, realize that this isn't the end of the road, and try to propel themselves back to where the Astros are. I think they have a shot at winning the division. It's just going to take a lot more now that they've fallen so far behind. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. I don't know, man. The Red Sox definitely heating up. Nerve wracking, but you got the Jays, the Rays, the Red Sox all playing some of their best baseball. 
But you know who has an eight-game lead in that division still? Who's that? The New York Yankees. Here we go, talking about the Yankees <laughs> again. Nah, nah, they can, they, they, they can chill for now. I'll keep them in my back pocket. Well, that'll do it for the MLB. Let's let's transition here into the NBA. Justin, we got some finals to talk about. Two games down, and we're tied up at one apiece. Did you expect anything else? Nope. This is exactly how I saw it going down. Celtics Warriors, Celtics Warriors, Celtics Warriors. But I will admit, the Warriors are playing the better brand of basketball as of right now. Uh, they've outperformed the Celtics in both games, in my opinion. However, the Celtics went on a crazy fourth quarter run to really shut it down uh, in game one. But in game two, you know, it was very, very competitive through three or through two, I should say. And then the Warriors absolutely blew it open in, in the third quarter uh, of game two. And just they didn't look back after that. Uh, but yeah, man, 1-1 heading to Boston. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a very interesting series. It should. But I think, Justin, if you're going to talk about anyone who is the game changer in this series, it's the most obvious choice. Steph Curry is definitely on pace for a finals MVP. We look at his stats in game one. Curry with 34, 5 and 5 in game one, followed by a 29, 6, 4 game two. And Jordan Poole finally stepped up. I mean, we saw the we saw the Celtics in game one come back and have a huge fourth quarter. Al Horford with you know the most threes of anyone in an NBA start or in an NBA final start with six. They shot uh what 50% from three throughout the night. So and outscoring him 40 to 16, it's tough, man. It's tough to, to even compete with teams like that. So shout out to the Celtics for going into Oracle, getting a big win in game one, because it's so important to get a, a win in game one. Teams are 53 and 22 in this final series when winning game one. Crazy to think about. Oh, that's an interesting stat right there. Hmm. Makes you think, Jackson. It does make you think, but man, you were talking about it right out the gate. Who's playing the better brand of basketball? It's absolutely the Warriors. They yes. dominated the starters of the Celtics last night. I mean, I checked in with the game probably around the second half towards the third quarter, and the Celtics hadn't broke 70 yet. The defense by Steph Curry, too. Not just Draymond, but Steph as well. He's playing world-class basketball right now, and I think it goes to show how strong this Warriors team can be when they have you know, a full, complete team. We talked about the fact that the Warriors are this team that's you know, offense-heavy, but if they, can co- if they can come full circle, that's when this team is so, so dangerous, and we saw it in Game 2. Yeah, I mean, the... The stakes are much higher. It's the NBA Finals. So Steph Curry stepping up on the defensive end, not typically known for his defense, but when his fourth ring is on the line, he better step up and play good defense. But like you said, Warriors just dominating the Celtics. Honestly, in game, it really didn't – it felt surreal to me that the Celtics won by 12 because from what I witnessed, it was Warriors by 100. But the game itself was close. It was, it was a weird game to me because – it felt like the Warriors were winning by 
25, 30. But then you look and, you know, the Celtics are up one or two or down one or two. So it was just an interesting game. And then in game two, the Celtics couldn't overcome that because it, it was the same thing, you know, just a huge third quarter from the Warriors. Yeah, it's been the case in both games, scoring 35 and 38 points in both third quarters. So out the half, they've done a really good job adjusting. I think that's something that will definitely play into the series later on. So one-to-one, we're headed to Boston, excited for game three. Justin, what do we have to see out of the Boston Celtics if they want to make sure they can defend home court? Well, for starters, they got to be smarter with the basketball. They had over 15 turnovers in game two. And when you're turning the ball over 15 times, it's not a recipe for success. And they just need to shoot better and not turn the ball over. It, it looks like a team that's flustered. You know what I'm saying? They need to settle down and play their brand of basketball. Because I truly think if the Celtics play the basketball that I know they can play, they can win this series. It's just a matter of calming your nerves you've got young guys in there never been there before and you know what it is they're testing the waters you know game one and game two Jason Tatum not playing his best brand of basketball through two games uh he only had 12 points in game one a little over 20 in game two so if Jason Tatum can really turn on and do his thing I I I think they have a good chance but it really relies on like I said playing smarter and Jason Tatum needs to step it up a bit And yeah, that was going to be my biggest point, Justin. You know, it's the first time these guys are there. You can see that it's the first time that they're there. They're nervous. You know, they're not sure if they're confident enough to take shots. I mean, Jason Tatum, you talked about he only had 12 points in the first game. How many assists did he have in game one, though? I knew it was upwards of 10 to 12. So maybe he he wasn't taking the shots himself. He was driving, passing out. So... I would still, if I'm, if I'm going to choose a Celtic as my MVP, I'm still going to stick with Tatum. But at the same time, they've got to have more than just Tatum step up, right? The Warriors, they run through Curry. Everyone knows that. They need Jordan Poole and Clay to step up here and there, but they run primarily through Curry. Now, Celtics are very similar, but at the same time, I think Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart can pull more weight than the collective of Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole. Yeah, in game in game one, they most definitely did that. You had Al Horford drop 26, Jalen Brown had 24, Marcus Smart 18, Derek White 21, who is not known to be a scorer at all. So when they have the help, and Tatum was having an off game offensively, so they picked up the slack. But in game two, that simply wasn't there. So it, it's kind of, you know what this reminds me of a little bit? What's that? Remember how it was like with the Mavericks? Luka was doing everything. And they were blowing these huge leads because it was just Luca scoring like these crazy spurts, getting up to a big lead. But then, you know, he cools off and the team's very cold. But when he gets his help, they're winning. So it's like game one, the Celtics get the help they need. They win the game. And it it sounds cliche because it really is that easy. It's just role players needing to step up. And that's how you win championships. It's guys who typically don't step up, step up. And you always get these crazy heroes that do crazy things in the finals. And that's what the Celtics need. They need a hero. Yeah, it's that third, fourth guy, you know, a guy like Jordan Poole, who the other night in game two had a step back three from like 35 feet, and then he hit a halftime buzzer. You know, you could see in the game as well, Steph's reaction to him and Poole trying to act out and have that swagger. That's the kind of thing that the Warriors need in order for them to secure a championship as well. So 
solid play from both teams. Exciting to see where the series goes now that we're going to go back to Boston. But Justin, man, I'm I'm nervous. This is this is an interesting series. It's so much fun to watch, and I know you and I are clashing together on this series as well. You've got the Celtics. I've got the Warriors. Yeah, I'm sticking with my boys. I think the Celtics got this. We will have to see. But anyway, let's move on to our final segment for today. It's Akeem Hicks and Aaron Donald in the NFL. Two men with new contracts. And Justin, I think there's plenty of implications with the first one. Akeem Hicks with a one-year $10 million signing with the Bucks as of May 31st. He is now going to be alongside, hopefully, knock on all the wood you've got if you're a Bucks fan, a healthy Vita Vea. And man, I was looking at the size of these guys, Justin. Mm-hmm. Akeem Hicks, 6'5, 324. Vita Vea, 6'4, 346. It's like running into a massive brick wall if you're a running back. Like, good luck running between the tackles. Mm-hmm. Seriously, good luck. Every team is going to have to bounce it to the outside. You're going to have to face players like Devin White, JPP on the outside. They got their, they got their secondary that's pretty solid as well. So the Bucks stacking up that defense, doing what they can with the seemingly unlimited cap that they have because Brady never takes any money. You know, I complain, and then my quarterback takes fifty million dollars a year. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think it's a great move because they stick to a very bull rush, big dude. They are going to pay him one more year than they did Ndamukong Sue, and Hicks is three years younger. Justin, I want to hear your thoughts on this contract. I think it's a, you know, you're paying a million more dollars for him, but it's a guy who's three years younger and, you know, he's less of a nuisance to the locker room. You know, Ndamukong Sue, uh, Sue is prone to these you know, just unpredictable things like stomping on Aaron Rodgers and, you know, just doing these, he's a menace. He, he, he's mentally insane. And you know what, to be a dangerous defensive lineman, like he is, you have to have some sort of insanity to you, but it's a matter of if you can control it or not. And he can't, and you know, he, he causes trouble. He gets unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. He gets rough in the passer penalties. So I think, just in terms of stress and, you know, camaraderie, I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good contract for them. And it's cheaper. He's younger. You have more control over him. And, you know, Nadama Kinsu's 35 now. There's no guarantee that he performs to the level that we think he can. Akeem Hicks showed no signs of slowing down last year. Um, but what I'm curious about is you had mentioned Vita Vea, you know, being healthy. And he just recently signed a four-year, $72 million contract. So you're paying $82 million for two guys who are essentially just nose tackles. And is that really optimal? That seems like a lot of money for two guys who sort of do the same thing. But, you know, when you're the Buccaneers and you have Tom Brady and your aspiration is a Super Bowl, it's hard to judge anything you do. But I think Vita Vea's contracts could get a little gross. It could get a little ugly in a couple of years if he sh- continues to show he can't stay healthy. I think it could be, Justin, but I think it's just the sheer presence that this that Vea brings on the field. I mean, you're not a t- you're not talking about a crazy sack heavy guy. You know, he had Hicks and Vita Vea together had seven and a half sacks last season. Vita Vea with four, 
uh, Akeem Hicks with three and a half. But like, what does this say when they go up against a team that thrives off of a star running back? Right. Yeah. And you know, if you can't run the ball on someone, your game becomes very one dimensional. Right. And if you have these three people rushing them, you know, those three people are going to be JPP, Vita Vea, and Akeem Hicks. So you have this kind of, you know, equilibrium on both sides. You have a three down lineman who can absolutely shred, right? And then you have a package with a front seven that is horrifying. So good luck running on this team. That's all I'm going to say. If you're going to run anything, you're going to have to sweep it to the outside. If you are the Titans, Colts, like this team is your biggest nightmare, I feel like. And just good luck getting through the two brick walls that are sitting in the nose tackles. I think it's worth it. I love the move by the Bucks because they get younger, they get healthier. And you mentioned Sue's, you know, anger and issues and stuff like that. As much as that was the case earlier in his career, he actually didn't have too much problem with the Bucks. I really do think this is just an age move. Now, am I am I not saying that Sue's not a nice guy? No, because he's, you know, he he's had issues, but ever since Tom Brady's kind of cut down on the idea that Bruce Arians ran this loose ship and now we're handing over to to Todd Bowles and we're making it a strict disciplinary crew. I think this is a great move because you bring a fun and exciting player like Akeem Hicks into the locker room. This guy is not only dangerous, Justin, you talk about the insanity. It is scary how happy this man is on a football field because he is happy to bring death to whoever tries to run next to him. He is just a giant bear. Like he played for the Chicago bears, but he literally is a bear. He's just a huge dude that is going to lay out any running back in his way. And I think that's why this is another solid move for the bucks. They don't make a lot of long-term deals. Obviously they signed Vita Vea because of his production over the past couple of years, he had a slight MCL sprain. So maybe the injury comes back to haunt them on the back end of his contract. But I love this move this year to get Akeem Hicks, and I'm excited to see what he does in a Buccaneers uniform. Yeah, and you mentioned just how formidable this defensive line. I just want to add on. So in 2021, they drafted an edge rusher, Joe Tyron, or Tryron, however you want to pronounce it. And then they doubled down this year in the second round. They drafted Logan Hall, who's another defensive end. So not only do they have the likes of Vita Vea, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett, uh, now Akeem Hicks, they have these younger guys that are going to watch vets who are amazing at what they do. They're going to pick up from them and then they're going to produce eventually when they replace them. So the, they have the game plan. They have the foundation set. Uh, so it looks like this defensive line could be very scary for many years. Let's talk about another defensive line. That's going to remain scary for the next couple of years. The Rams just signed Aaron Donald well, just restructured Aaron Donald to a three-year, $95 million extension. He becomes the highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL. Goodbye, Tyreek Hill. Hello, Aaron Donald. This man deserved every single penny of that contract. He's going to get 65 mil guaranteed in the first two years. Seriously, like who else is deserving of a contract like this? Nobody. Aaron Donald deserves to be 
in my opinion, the highest paid player in NFL history. I know that's crazy. That's we're talking upwards of $50 million a year. That's never going to happen. But just in terms of everything, he, he's everything you want in a football player. He not only is he the best player in his position, he is a staple of what you want on and off the field. He's a lovable character. Like you, you can't find a single soul that doesn't like Aaron Donald. You know what I'm saying? Unless you're like, a fan of a team in the NFC West, which I understand. <laughs> then like, then like, he's your worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then then you can understandably hate him. But outside of that, it's like, how can you not love this man? He's everything you want. He but like I feel bad for Rams fans because I really don't think there's that many in LA. Let's be completely honest with ourselves. They had their guy, man, Aaron Donald in the St. Louis Rams. If they were still in St. Louis, Lord knows where they'd be now. Probably not in the Super Bowl. But like <laughs> That's unfortunate that a small, you know, not a small city, but a, a lesser known city like St. Louis loses a team the way they did and they lose out on the greatness of Aaron Donald. But the point remains, man, this guy deserves his money. And I don't care. Like, bring him the Brinks, Chuck. Bring him a blank check. Whatever he wants, you pay that man what he wants. I agree, Justin. And I love the way that they did this contract. Okay. Right. He gets all the money guaranteed, which. That's how you, that's how you know, you respect the player, right? You give them it that day. Right. And then number two, they're giving him a way out. Like they understand this man, he wants to raise a family. He's reached football's highest peak in a super bowl. Quite frankly, he could have been super bowl MVP with, with how he played. And the fact that if it wasn't for him, the last play of the super bowl may have gone to Jamar chase for a touchdown. So Giving him, giving him a third year and an option to retire or he takes a pay cut and goes down to 30 million, right? Which goes down to 30 million. <laughs> Sorry, he goes down to being the second paid, the second highest paid non-QB, but obviously that'll probably change by the time 2024 rolls around. But I love the way they did this contract. It's total respect for the player. I like what they did with the rant. With, I like what the Rams did. I'm happy that Aaron Donald gets his contract. And it seems like this guy is going to get the happy ending that he wants. I mean, he's been in the league for eight years now. He's coming on his ninth season. And what man, he need to do? he's like, seriously, he's, he's a first ballot hall of famer for sure. There are some who would argue he's the best defensive player to ever live. I and can, I can get behind that argument. Personally. I mean, he's literally every year he's been in the league. He's had eight or more sacks. At his Him, like it, it, it's Lawrence Taylor's up there, Charles Woodson's up there, and then it's Aaron Donald. It's it, that's the big three for me, and it, it really, man, I'm I didn't get to see Lawrence Taylor play. I saw the back end of Charles Woodson's career with the Packers. I've watched Aaron Donald go from this 2014 Combine freak show, who was like just athletically better than everyone else. And it was like, all right, this guy's, he was, he was Trayvon Walker before Trayvon Walker. Think about it like that. And I've watched him every year become this force to be reckoned with. So for me, obviously there's recency bias, but I think I could genuinely argue and have no problem arguing it that Aaron Donald is the greatest defensive player of all time. I would be in agreement. I would just watch how much you praise Trayvon Walker. Because we'll see how he plays this yeah, that's, coming season. Well, I'm not saying Trayvon Walker's Aaron Donald, but in terms of being a combine warrior, that's what you're talking Aaron about. Donald, 
Aaron Donald did it first. Don't forget gotcha. that. All right. Well, Justin, that's it for today's episode. Another solid, another solid episode, I would say. And just want to thank everybody for listening. Once again, we are going to try and continue to develop this podcast more and more. I'm excited to start to get the name out there a little bit. I am going to try and post a few things over in a local brewery of mine that I used to work for. And we'll see if we can't gain some traction there as well as possibly learning some premiere so we can get you guys some clips on our social media of us recording the podcast, maybe some takes, stuff like that. I know you would love to hear it. So, Justin, what do we what do we think about that? Sounds like a great idea, my friend. Absolutely love it. Well, in the meantime, we will continue to be out here, your two hosts of the Crow's Nest. We will see you all next time. Peace.